Ah, yes, Operation Brewery is back. I tell you what, when we started planning another season of this podcast, I looked back to see where we got to last season and how long it had been since we did an episode, and it was over two years. So I have to apologize for that. We've been very busy at Black Ops in that time, and unfortunately, the podcast has taken a back seat. But we've got enough ideas together now to bring you guys another season of it. This season is going to be a bit different. So I'll just spend a few minutes at the start of this episode recapping last season, talking about this one, and talking about this episode. First off, um, we ended last season, our season dedicated to the AIBA Awards. And if you're interested in submitting to any beer awards, I think it's, it's worth a listen. I haven't seen other people talk in depth to this extent about submitting to the awards. And that's why we did that season, because our mate Hendo volunteered to help us out and um, sort of put our best foot forward for those awards. At the end of that season, we did quite well in the AIBA Awards and we won three gold medals, spoiler alert. Um, but what has happened since has been really amazing so we kind of took those lessons and the year after we actually won five gold medals and we won Australia's champion small brewery which was just an amazing result for the team and so I think if you are thinking about these awards or the the Queensland beer awards were another awards we did well in and the independent beer awards the indies are coming up this September and we've just submitted beers for those awards for the first time so there's a lot of these things going around it does your company very good to do well in these awards and it's also also really good feedback for the team. It's just a great exercise and um, I, th- I think that podcast will be useful if you're thinking about doing that. So dig back into season two if you haven't listened to it. Um, uh, season three is going to be a little bit different. So season one was all about building a brewery. Season two was about getting that quality right for the um, awards and submissions to the awards. Everything that's happened since then for us has been sort of focused around growth and how we go from this small a brew pub sort of size brewery through to more of a national brand, which is where we want to be. And there's enormous challenges in doing that. And that's, I guess, part of the reason why we haven't been podcasting. We've just been so busy doing that. And a part of that for us has been building a second brewery much bigger than the first one and working out how to produce and sell way more beer than, than we did before. So this season is going to be dedicated to the topic of growth and we're going to be looking at a whole range of different things to do with growth and different to other seasons it's not just going to be about black ops so i do have episodes with people at black ops and we're going to be looking at things like production and what software we use and what hr systems we use and what's it like running two sites what equipment we use all of that kind of stuff for for people thinking about getting into brewing or thinking about expanding their brewery but the other thing i'm going to do this season is i've had a couple of breweries uh accept to come on the podcast and that's really generous of them they don't have to do it but i've spoken to a couple who are breweries you guys will definitely know really well-known breweries that have grown really fast or or built a really amazing brand and they've they've volunteered to come on the podcast so i've got those episodes coming out as well so we'll have those interspersed with the black ops episodes and you'll get a good mix of what's happening at black ops and some perspectives from other breweries which i'm really excited about so for today's episode, um, I thought it made sense to chat to Govs and to dig into the production equipment because fundamentally, if you're going to grow a brewery brand and, and you don't want to contract brew, um, you're going to have to buy some bigger equipment. And I always enjoy listening to these conversations with other brewers where they talk about their equipment selections and why they went a certain way. And so I really wanted to start there for this growth series. So I sat down with Govs at Black Ops 2 um, to talk about 
what went into building the brewery and the packaging line at Black Ops 2, what decisions um, were taken, what equipment provider were used and any lessons learned from that experience. So let's get to that chat with Govs. Um, if you enjoy the podcast, please do, us, do leave us a review on your podcast app or on iTunes. It really helps us and um, we're keen to kick this thing off again and um, have another great season for you guys. All right, chat to you soon. All right, Govs, you're, you're um, not the easiest man to get a hold of. This week we're very busy brewing a bunch of beers as per normal and also doing beers for the upcoming Indies Awards across two breweries. But um, thanks for joining me. The, I guess where we should start is why did we build a second brewery? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, first of all, it's good to be back in the recording studio. Uh, it's been a crazy couple of years since our last uh, recording. Um, we're actually today in the process of hooking up the last of our fermenters here at BH2 Online. So uh, that'll Thanks, be Bonnie. fermenter uh, up to fermenter number 11 here at BH2. Uh, and that's in addition to the 12 fermenters we currently have at HQ. So... You're not wrong in saying things are getting a lot busier. Hell yeah. Um, I just said thanks, Bonnie, because we just realised we were about to record our first podcast without beer, so we asked Bonnie to get us a beer. So, Yeah, the times definitely have changed. I walked into the studio with a coffee, so yeah. it's <laughs> And not a coffee beer. No, not coffee. a coffee beer, an actual coffee. So we've, we've shit-canned that idea and, and quickly grabbed a couple of tins. Right, so um, back, oh, I'm just thinking two years ago when we did the last podcast, I imagine we probably weren't even anywhere close to capacity at HQ, but we sort of always knew that that time would come. Like we knew that we were going to run out of yep. space there. Um, what? Take us back to then and, and whether or not we were, had considered more tanks there or you know, another more storage around the corner or something. Or like what was the idea to do a completely different brewery in a, you know, a fair way away from the original one? Yeah, well, I mean, that conversation probably goes back to when we first started. Uh, at HQ. Um, I remember when we were scouting out locations for our first brewery and uh, the location we ended up with at HQ was was one of the top ones that came through to me. Um, and immediately I could see that the, the floor space available was not exactly, um, probably not even half of what we would have liked to build a, a big production brewery, but the location was incredible. So um, I kind of knew from day one that we would outgrow that place. Um, we were lucky that we were able to, to kind of expand into the, the factories next to us and, and get as much, of, uh, much out of that space as we could. But yeah, we, we planned it to some extent. Like we, we knew we were yeah. going to get the place next door, but beyond that, it was going to be hard to sort of go in. Yeah, and uh, after our first expansion there, we, we kind of knew that if we were going to continue down that path, it was almost going to be a Band-Aid uh, solution on top of another Band-Aid solution. Uh, and that's when the conversation started down the track of should we build a second purpose um, built production facility? Yeah. And so I suppose skipping past the location and whatnot, we, I guess we eventually arrived at this location, Bigger Waters, which was perfect. Um, we started looking at equipment. I think the first thing was, okay, let's build something not only bigger, but also something that where the equipment was a kind of a, a step up as well. Absolutely. So I think the first time around, it was more about let's just build a brewery. And we didn't think too much further than yeah. that. Well, we had very, very little money And, as and well. we definitely had very little money. So what we built there was 
Um, a lot of it was just out of necessity. It was, this is all the money we had, so this is all the equipment we could afford. So we were able to put in, you know, a, a decent system for on a budget. Um, but in order to scale up to this new site, we knew that we were going to be going into quite a larger distribution model. Um, we're going to be sending our beer further around the country. Um, we wouldn't have as much control over how it was handled. So we mm. knew that the beer, the quality of the beer and the shelf life of the beer needed to step up. So yeah. that was going to come down to, to really stepping up our, our game on the equipment. Yeah, and, and around about that time when we were, we were planning building the second brewery was right when we got into these big retailers, which kind of impacted that as well. Yeah, so we'd already started selling into, into these big retailers and um, we were absolutely busting our balls to, to make sure that the, the quality of the beer was going to, to live up to their, their standards and expectations and make sure that the beer getting into people's hands was, was um, what we wanted. Um, but yeah, uh, approaching BH2 and the build here was, was a very different um, mindset. It was all about quality, um, all about uh, innovation and, and really kind of going from building the brewery that we could afford to, to building the brewery that we wanted, um, which was really cool. So yep. what we've now uh, able to, to brew on and, and package on is is kind of the system that, you know, for lack of a better term, that I would have dreamt about brewing on yeah. um, my whole career. So we've, we've been really lucky to, to put together some really innovative and cool bits of kit. Um, so, so let's go through them. Yeah, so, yeah, so yeah, starting absolutely. it, I guess the, one of the most exciting things for us was getting a silo. <laughs> yeah, I think that's definitely like a bucket list tick uh, for any any brewery is, is getting a silo. You, you know, you've kind of made it. Um, <laughs> but we also get to look back on the days that we were uh, hand loading 25 kilo bags of grain up and down stairs. So we, we earned our stripes and uh, we earned the, the um, ability to get a, a silo. So having that is like uh, a huge factor um, that definitely improves our um, grain handling. Um, so rather than manually loading bags of grain into a mill, we're able to, to automate that into a bulk process. Uh, it also allows us to buy our raw materials in much larger quantities. Yeah, and, uh, and, and I guess better, that, that means better price. Absolutely, yeah, considerably brings that price down for us. Um, but it just kind of streamlines that that part of the process for us. The brewers are, are able to come in the morning, um, start mashing in. Um, so we have a, a silo that's connected to our mashed tons um, via an auger system, and that goes through a, a weight cell. So we can we can load in how much grain we want, um, and that's our, our base malt. Yeah. Um, so for all our specialties, we still we still load that in through the side through the uh, through the mill. But we're talking, you know, a few bags as opposed to. Um, you know, over a ton yeah. of base malt, and the, that um, auger we set up goes through the tap room, so it goes uh, on the ceiling. So if you're sitting in the tap room at BH2 and you look up and it's on brew day, you, you might see some grain. Yeah, like we didn't just want to build a, a sterile um, production facility. We also wanted to build something that looked cool, um, that worked well, uh, worked in well with the tap room. So yeah, being able to utilize some clear pipes that travel through the tap room. So when you're sitting there having a beer, if we're mashing in, you can actually see the grain traveling through, which is a cool little touch. Yeah. Um, so moving on to the brew house, it, it's always interesting listening to podcasts and hearing uh, people talk about their decisions for, you know, certain brands, certain sizes, I think is, is the one I'm always, always interested in is why people choose the size and the configuration 
but also the brand. So, so what, what went into that? Because ours, yep. uh, like we went for a pretty big upgrade from HQ. Uh, absolutely. So we've always understood that um, you build the biggest brewery you can afford because you plan to outgrow it. Um, and now that we've been around for a few years and, and had a bit of experience in, in how these, um, how these scalings work and, and the efficiencies and the yields that you get out of different size systems and, and how much effort it goes into, uh, into brewing regardless of the size. Um, we've understood that there's, there's certain kind of um, baselines that you, you look to achieve in a brew house. So depending on your model, if it's, you're looking at a, a brew pub, you know, anything between 5 to 10 hectolitres is perfect. Uh, and then if, as soon as you start stepping up into production and, and distribution, you really need to go as big as you can. Um, but that also comes back to the, the size of the, the, the site that you're working yeah, with. Yeah. Um, so in our case, we, we had quite a, a large floor space available to us uh, and we decided to go with a 50-barrel a system. So uh, it's about 65 hectolitres. So it's, um, it's a pretty big when it comes to, to craft breweries. Um, and we've paired that up with... Um, uh, 180 hectolitre fermenters, but sticking with the the brew house design. So the layout that I chose to go with was something that's not very traditional. Um, it's kind of based on how we've been brewing for the past three years at HQ, but also what I believe to make sense um, in in scaling up and moving forward. And and that was a, a mash tun with a separate louder tun, and then we've also got two separate kettle whirlpools. Uh, so what that allows us to do is to have multiple brews going through the system at once um, and with the two kettles being able to, to boil one batch while we're running the second batch off and heating. Um, so it was a, a few little things like that that we were able to incorporate into the design that just really um, maximised our production and also allowed us to maintain uh, some... Uh, consistency through our brand in transitioning from HQ to BH2. Yeah, and, and what, what are the implications for that in terms of what a brew day looks like? So, so I guess brew day before was a double brew gave us about 4,000 litres and took, I guess, the whole day? Correct. So the, the time has not really changed a hell of a lot. The amount of um, legwork that goes into it has because we've been able to, to automate a few of the processes. So... While a double brew day at HQ is, is pretty hectic, it's a lot of running around, a lot of manual work um, at BH2, it's, um, it's quite calm and, and collected and, and really uh, when the brewers first came up here and started brewing, I think they had a bit of anxiety about them wondering, you know, what am I forgetting to do? <laughs> um, it was almost too easy, but <laughs> we've been able to, to, to achieve that through some just smart design features in the brew house. So the brew day hasn't gone any longer, but we're able to get, you know, 15 to 18,000 litres. Yeah. So, so what's an example of like sort of like a level of automation here compared to HQ? Yeah. I mean, firstly, the big one is, is the mill, um, being able to, to streamline that mashing in process. Uh, then we've been able to incorporate a few other different features, like the design of the louder ton is, is really well made. Just getting all the... Um, uh, design metrics and dimensions and locations of ports and, and the, the angles uh, and um, separation on the plates so that we're able to 
maximize our flow rates but but not affect the the quality of the work um, also incorporating things like uh, an automated um, work grant so we can set our work grant to uh, a target um, flow rate uh, and it will achieve that by cycling the pump up and down um, through the use of some um, flow sensors and, and meter sensors as well. So there was a, a, a lot of those little features that we've been able to incorporate that I had never used before in a brew house, but on paper certainly made a lot of sense. So there was a little bit of, um, uh, app not apprehension, but a little bit of uh, nervousness doing the first brew because some of these little features, it's like, well, is it going to work? <laughs> <laughs> Um, and is it going to perform like I had uh, intended it to? I mean, if it didn't, it would have just been a waste of time and money and we would have bypassed it. But right. luckily, um, these things have all, all paid off for us and allowed us to, to build a, a pretty impressive brew house. Yeah, and we should mention that, uh, the Alpha is the, the company we went with for the Correct. system. So um, Alpha Brewing Operations, um, they're based out in Nebraska, um, which we were lucky enough to, to go visit a couple of years ago. We didn't get, make it to Alpha, but we made it to Nebraska. It's a highlight of our trip. <laughs> it definitely was. <laughs> um, they've, uh, they've been a they're relatively new provider, a supplier in the market, but they've been around now for, I think, about five or six years. Um, we actually looked at their canning lines uh, a few years ago when we bought our first canning line. Mm. Uh, however, um, at the time, I loved the... The design of what they were doing and uh, I thought there was a lot of features that they were incorporating that to me looked like something a brewer would do. This is in the packaging? or in Correct, the, yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, that was our first kind of interaction with them. However, they were, to me at the time, just a little bit too new to the market um, and I was looking for someone that had a bit more of a prolonged relationship and reputation and, um, you know, we could chat to people that use their equipment. Mm. So then, yeah, fast forward um, two and a half years, we've then since gone back to them because the stuff that they're producing is is really starting to pop up all around the world and uh, and people were saying a lot of good things about the design of their equipment. So Yeah, and I, sp I suppose we were, we were always, regardless of what we did with the brew house here, whether we went direct to China or, or went, you know, something a bit nicer, more expensive, um, we were always going to get a packaging line from the US, so we, we were probably looking at them or Abe or, or one of those. Yeah, so we were initially looking um, definitely at their packaging lines um, and it was through that conversation that we started to look at their, their brew house as well. And that's what kind of sparked my interest is, um, first of all, how easily it was to deal with them. Um, that's like a huge factor when finding a supplier is just the support and service um, particularly because you know once you've you've purchased something you want to know later down the track if you're having any issues or concerns that you can easily get hold of them and, and rectify these problems um, but yeah the 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 brew houses on paper looked really good it was a lot of the things that I saw in their canning lines that um, kind of stood out to me as smart design in a brew house that was obviously made by someone who understands how beer is made um so yeah that was kind of what got us looking at alpha yeah and um so i'm noticing now quite a few alpha canning lines around is is ours the first brewery in australia or, or it's the biggest i think they've done 
it's it's the biggest brew house that Alpha have done full stop right. anywhere in the world. Um, it's so it's definitely the biggest in Australia. They have sold, uh, I believe, one or two smaller like five barrel systems okay. here, um, but nothing like what we undertook with them. Um, I think the biggest brew house that built before this was 30 barrel yeah okay um so we talked about the brew house we, we talked briefly about the fermenters how many of the eighteen thousand have we got we've got six uh of the eighteen thousand liter fermenters or 180 heck um we've also got two 20 barrels uh and we've got three seven um seven barrel which are a part of our pilot system that we also got so um in in likeness to hq we've um, we've got a, a, a main brew house and a, and a pilot brew house here as well. Yeah, and the cool thing about, well, there's a few cool things about this one. The pilot system, I guess, is a big step up from the HQ one, but also we've been able to build that into the tap room where when you walk in through the front doors of the tap room, you're looking at three fermenters straight away, which is kind of something we wanted to do. Yeah, and a lot of those little design features came from our uh, inspirational tour of the US, I think. I guess you'd mm. call it. <laughs> um, the the level of the the tap rooms over there was just incredible, uh, and we wanted to make sure that when people walked in here, they knew they're at Black Ops and they knew they were in a, a serious brewery. Yeah, so you, you come in and you, you'll see what's in those pilot tanks, and you might see someone, you know, doing a check or having a taste or, or potentially even putting beer into it if they've just a- done a brew. Absolutely, and you know, I think people love sitting next to the tanks and, and uh, shooting off a few questions to the brewers yep. while they're drinking the beer. Um, and then moving on to packaging, the, the, so I guess we, we're always going to stick with canning. There was no question there. It was just, it, I guess the, the biggest question at the time was do we go a step up from a forehead in line mm-hmm. or do we go you know, a big step up to a massive rotary machine? Um, and I, I suppose we've, we've landed somewhere in between, would you say? Yeah, so we... We kind of sized ourselves on the cusp of in between um, inline and rotary filling um, machines based on being able to empty a bright tank in a shift. So uh, there's, a, there's a kind of a ceiling limit to inline fillers um, of about 100 cans per minute. Um, once you go beyond that, you're really into the territory of getting a, a rotary filler. Mm. Um, and we kind of sat a little bit below that in that we could have got like a top of the line inline filler or we could have got like a bottom of the line rotary um, because to buy anything bigger would have just been a bit overkill for us. Yeah, and the budget comes into it as well. Yeah, yeah. and and the budget just starts really ramping up from that point. So we decided to go with an an eight head inline filler um, through Alpha and... Uh, that's been able to we've been able to achieve you know 70 to 80 cans per minute from that um, but what that sort of speed does is also uh, makes so some of the processes that we were doing manually before can no longer be done by hand just because it would require you know five people there mm. loading and gluing boxes yeah, shut too slow for putting four packs on and things like that so we had to automate a lot of the process around the filler um, in order to keep up with that speed um, which most of it we were able to source through Alpha. So we got a, a depalletizer, a twist rinser. Um, we got the, the filler, which is like a dual lane eight head, which has two seamers. Um, and then on the back of that, we have a, uh, a wash station, uh, a batch coder, a labeler. Uh, and then 
the cans get accumulated uh, and have four packs supplied, like the the pack techs. Yeah, so that's just that's automated as opposed yeah, to and someone sitting of, there and doing it. That's kind of where their package finished, uh, and so that left us with four packs of cans coming out at an alarming rate, uh, <laughs> and obviously we had to put them into boxes and glue them shut. Uh, so I started to do the maths on how many people we'd need to be able to, to, to do that by hand. And it was pretty, pretty crazy. And um, when you add up those wages over the year, I was pretty confident that we could find uh, a machine to do that because it's not exactly uh, exhilarating work either. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, loading and gluing boxes shut was hopefully something we could automate. But as it turned out, there, there wasn't really a, a solution in that bracket of the market. Um, there was case packers that were much, much bigger than what we needed. Uh, and there was plenty of them and, and lots of well-known companies that making them, but no one actually made like a small craft case packer. So if, if we did want to buy one of the bigger ones, could we have it or would, you, would it just been too much money? It would have been redundant. So it would have taken up like tripled our floor space for our packaging mm. line. Um, we would have barely touched the sides on how fast the machine could have run. Uh, and it would have cost us more than pretty much all the other equipment yeah. combined. Yeah. Um, so uh, I ended up going back to, to one of the suppliers um, and uh, Fiber King, who were pretty like well renowned for making packaging equipment. And I just approached them and said that, you know, they obviously had the technology in their case packers to do the task. However, they didn't have one small enough to suit the craft beer market. Uh, and just approached them and said, you know, would they be interested in potentially developing a craft beer case packer that would, you know, be about the size of a pallet. Um, it could do somewhere in the range of five to ten cartons per minute uh, and obviously kind of be around that hundred to $150,000 mark. Uh, and luckily they said yes uh, and they agreed to, to go down the project and we designed it with them and um, they ended up building it just down the road in, in Brisbane. Nice. And, which is really and cool. That's, have they sold more already? I'm sure they yeah, will. Yeah, I, I believe their second uh, case packer is due to go out for nice. um, commissioning very shortly. Uh, and it's been such an incredible addition to our packaging line, not having to, to load and glue boxes by hand. Yeah, I think once you get to that kind of permanent range, it's, it's really not going to work. I mean, Absolutely. You, you, you'd, yeah. you'd almost, if there was something available before, you'd almost do the same thing at HQ. Although at that price, I think it would still cost almost more than our canning line costs. Correct. <laughs> yeah, so uh, at HQ, we still do everything by hand, but we've got, uh, we've got everything dialed in and we've got a really good crew in the mm. packaging team that... Um, we probably won't be looking to automate anything down there anytime soon. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess that's the, the bulk of the equipment. There's, there's other things in terms of lab um, equipment and other things, but we might just leave those out for now and um, put some more stuff on the blog about that. We've got a, a bunch of articles on the blog already about the equipment choices and whatnot that people can check out. Um, but before you go, I thought we could just talk quickly about like what are the, some of the challenges been? What... Um, I remember like the first couple of packaging days, I mean, the first couple of packaging days is always going to be challenged. There's so many things to line up. Everything seems, seems to be running smooth now, but what were some of the things that um, were, were, I guess, trickier to get going than, than we thought? Yeah, well, I mean, anyone who's worked in the, in the fast-moving consumable goods uh, sector understands how um, 
stressful and uh, difficult days can be, uh, particularly when you're commissioning new equipment. Um, for us, on top of that, we also had the added challenge of continuing to run um, our existing facility. So uh, a lot of the logistics around just having the, the resources at the right place at the right time was, was really difficult to get our head around. Um, we weren't initially in a position to just start doubling our team. So a lot of the, the brewers and, uh, and the other staff had to, to kind of float between different sites. Mm. Um, we also had to make sure the materials and, and goods were ready at both sites. But uh, in terms of brewing, um, it was a reasonable scale up for us. Um, brewing on a new system. So uh, brewing beer consistently at multiple sites is extremely challenging because you have so many variables, um, not just in the equipment, but in things like the water quality as well. Even though both sites are, uh, are on the Gold Coast, the mineral and chemical makeup of the water does vary between the two. And a lot of that's just based on the, the local infrastructure uh, and the distance from the the um, supply mm. so um, getting our beers to scale up consistently consistently was really hard um, but we've been able to achieve it quite quickly mm. um, I, yeah I thought I'd mention that because because the we've already won ABA gold medals for beer that we produced here and that, and that was w within a month of being here correct which is incredible so um, you know we always uh, maintain that we you know we wouldn't be releasing beer that didn't meet our standard, but we also had a realistic, realistic expectation that uh, it might take, you know, six to 12 months to really get everything dialed in. Um, we're now four months in and everything is just absolutely humming here. Um, then if we move into the packaging line, like packaging is just inherently difficult. Mm. Um, if, uh, yeah, to explain to people that how challenging it is to, to get beer into a can, <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it, there are so many variables involved uh and when we're dealing with tolerances of you know point like hundredths of a millimeter in terms of like can seaming um temperature variation pressure carbonation mm. clarity uh we also label and stamp all our products uh and packaging lines don't like to stop so once we get running it's incredibly important that we we don't stop because every time you stop your, the beer lines will, will start to warm up a little bit and you end up just having a headache of a day. So mm. um, we've, we've got a pretty switched on crew um, who understand these challenges and, and how to, to, to maintain them. Um, but we still have our, our hair pulling days. Yeah. <laughs> We're there's, definitely there's not so, exempt from that. There's so much that goes on packaged product, like um, which I guess I'm just learning about in, on the marketing side all the stuff that needs to go on a can, all the stuff that needs to go on a box, you know, um, batch codes, best before dates, um, packaging yeah, the, dates, the compliance on the box, on level the can, of it all barcodes, is incredible. Yeah. yeah. And like, for us, the label is happening through the canning process. The stamp on the bottom of the can is happening in the labeling process. The stamp yeah. on the box, the, the barcode on the box, all that is happening as part of that line. If that breaks, the line kind of stops. Yeah. And to put it in perspective, like uh, our packaging line yesterday, we ran over 15,000 cans through. Uh, and each one of those cans needs to have every one of those elements applied to it. Uh, and we don't have any robots sitting there scanning <laughs> each can to make sure it. So we've got people um, checking to make sure that we're, we're fulfilling those 
compliance obligations and, and making sure each can has a label, each can has a batch code and um, that the everything's stamped correctly as well. So uh, it's, it's a lot of, um, it requires uh, a lot of mental um, like fortitude to, to make it through a, a packaging shift. So yeah. it takes a yeah, very special type of person to be <laughs> able to, to work on a canning line. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, if you, when we hit all our numbers, everyone gets pretty proud about that. Yeah. Um, before you go, uh, it might be too early to tell, but is there anything you would change about the equipment setup knowing, you know, knowing now that it's up and running? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, the, the answer to that pretty confidently at the moment is no. Um, we haven't had any issues with any of the equipment. Um, everything's performed as well or better than our expectations. Um, we are incredibly happy with the quality of the beer that we're, we're putting out uh, and um, also the way we manage our um, manual handling and, and how much... Uh, physical effort goes into brewing the beer as well. Nice. All right. Well, we've officially recorded our first podcast in two years. So cheers, guys. Awesome. Cheers, mate. (laughs) (laughs) It's good to be back. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Govs. If you want to dig more into that equipment side of things, um, feel free to join our Facebook ambassador group. We've got about 1,500 members in there now, and we're talking about this kind of stuff all the time. It's really cool. Um, we'll be putting these podcasts out every week for the next 10 weeks or so. So I will look forward to talking to you on the next episode.